Hey, how's it going, y'all? Good? Kind of? How was your week? Good. Billy's was great. Ric Flair over here in the corner. Um, Billy's was great, evidently. I will tell you, my week was like, uh, I don't know, some of it was good. Uh, some of it was discouraging. Anybody have any discouragement this week? And it was like that. And I was just talking to the Lord this morning. Say, okay, Lord, if you have a purpose for my discouragement right now, I surrender that to you. If it works for what you're doing for me to be discouraged, great. But if not, I sure'd like to be not discouraged. And lo and behold, I show up here this morning and I see you guys and my week changes. It's been the best day of my week so far. I mean, we're like, uh, you know, some, several hours into this thing. And so I am really, really happy to be with you today. And it makes my day to see you guys. Okay. So I've always, hey, I'm a nerdy guy. You've noticed that so far. I love trivia. I may not be good at a lot of things, but you get me on like trivia night somewhere. And usually I clean up because my head is completely full of useless knowledge. A fountain of useless knowledge. That's what I... It's what I used to call myself and uh, emphasis on the useless. But um, when me and Katie, early in our marriage, I would get her to read this book to me. We had a Bible trivia book. You remember that? She says, how can I forget? Because I would have her like every night at bedtime. It's like, hey, can you quiz me on Bible trivia? Because uh, I was a young pastor at the time, and I guess, I, I don't know, I thought it would be good for me. And I think it was. It was good for her. She can pronounce all those weird Bible names because she read the Bible trivia book. She's really awesome like that. So uh, anybody else like Bible trivia? Okay, I see a few hands coming up. So I'm going to do some Bible trivia with you right now. And I've been tr- kind of toying with how to do this. If I want to, like, let you answer as a group or if I want to, like, if there's one brave individual. Does anyone feel really brave? Like, John feels, you feel brave, John? John's a PK. If you don't know what that stands for, it's pastor's kid. And usually pastor's kids go one or two directions, into ministry or into prison. And John is with us here today. Here's John. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Please, I have three PKs. So, that's uh, what I, what used to be... <laughs> My, um, I used to be told there was a lot of, you know, uh, folks around here who said, you know, preacher's kids end up being preachers or moonshiners. Uh, I don't know if that's true. Um, I have not seen a still anywhere on our property, so I don't think my kids are moonshining, uh, that I know of. Can't guarantee. Okay. Okay. John, John, you're going to represent us today. Tell you what, if John does get stuck for any reason, you guys can shout it to him. Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Start easy, start really easy, Bible trivia. How many days and nights did it rain in Noah's flood? Forty, all right. Another easy one, how many tribes of Israel? Twelve. How many apostles, originally? Twelve, okay. How many books in the Bible? It gets a little tougher. Sixty-six. Okay, for a bonus, how many, how many Old Testament? Thirty-nine. How many New Testament? 27. Okay, a little harder, a little harder now. What is the last book of the Old Testament? Of the Old Testament. I heard it, I heard it. Malachi, it is Malachi. Okay, what instrument did David play? The lyre, yes, lyre, or we might call it a harp. What two birds did Noah release from the ark? Dove and a raven. Okay. 
Now let's get hard. You feel hard? Okay, let's do it. The longest chapter in the Bible. It's in Psalms. Longest chapter. It is in Psalms. I heard it. Psalm 119. Okay. Shortest chapter in the Bible. Mm. Shortest chapter. Close. But there's one. It is in the Psalms. 118. Man, you're so close. 117. 117. All right. Bonus question. Um, What is the middle chapter of the Bible? If you take all the chapters of the Bible, which one's in the very middle? It is 117 again. 118.8, though, I've heard called the middle verse of the Bible. I don't know. I've heard 118. I put 118 first, and then I Googled it, and Google told me 117, but I don't know. The Google ain't always right. We got it right, Brian. We're right. All right. We'll end it with an easy one. How many commandments? You sure? You sure? Ooh, oh, it's getting controversial in here. Okay, all right, wow, all right. So we're getting somewhere. Okay, let me just say, if we want to get real technical, there is no completely agreed upon count of how many Old Testament laws there were, but the most common count that is given is 613. 613, do you know all 613? Well, let me, all right, you got to, you ready? No, I'm not doing it. The exact count of how many laws is not as important as the purpose of these laws. And you say, well, of course we know the purpose of the law is to show how good we are. Because we, we have this notion that, you know, um, I'm basically a good person. Um, at least I'm gooder than some of the people I know. I'm not like my cousin who's on that crack pipe. God bless him. You know, I'm, I'm okay. Uh, I'm, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do, try to do the right thing. I'm nice to everybody who's nice to me. I, I only cuss when I'm on the interstate. Um, I, you know, I, sometimes I show up for church services. Yeah, I think me and God should basically be on pretty good terms. But God doesn't keep score like we do. His passing grade is not what ours is. You know, hey, last year at this time, I was, I was working on a master's degree, and I went to a school where a C was not a passing grade. You've heard the thing, C's get degrees? Not where I went. A C was a failing grade. You had to get a B or above. And, and when you wrote a paper or turned in a project, then one little thing was missing. They wouldn't, like, mark you off and say, oh, sorry, you only got a 95 on this. No, they would send the whole thing back. It was a different grading scale. In God's university... The only passing grade is a 100. Now, we've got a problem because nobody can keep all the law of God 100% of the time. 613 questions on the test, and if you get 612 right, it's not a passing grade. So you're saying, well, that's, that's not fair. Who can do that? Nobody could possibly get them all right all the time forever for their whole life until they die. Well, there was just one guy, just Jesus, and he's the only one. If we want to have a chance of passing the test, then that one person who knows how to pass the test is going to have to do the test for us and turn it in for us. Now, in the academic world, we have a word for that. It's called cheating. In the spiritual world, we have another word. It's called propitiation. That's a $5 word to say that we get credit for what Jesus did because we cannot pass the test 
on our own. We get credit for the perfect life of Jesus. So following the law does not save your soul because nobody can follow the law. The law of God, the purpose is that we're, we know we need a Savior. We can't pass it. The New Testament says the law was my schoolmaster to bring me to Christ. The law taught me that I cannot keep the law, therefore I need grace. I need God to help me through this. You might say, well, hold on, I think I found a loophole. If, I'm, if I don't get into the family of God by obeying God's law, if I'm born into it through Jesus, then why do I need to listen to God? Why do I need to obey? Okay, you might as well tell your mama, since you gave birth to me and I'm in the family now, I don't have to listen to you. Let me know how that goes. I think my mama, who loves me very much, would maybe put me in need of dental work, uh, put some teeth back in my mouth. I know she probably wouldn't do that, but I don't think it would fly, would it, Mom? It would not. We obey God, not because that's what gets us into heaven, because it's good and it's right and it honors Him and it keeps us from destroying ourselves. See, that's the thing. God is not power tripping when He sets boundaries. He is protecting us because sin destroys, it destroys lives and relationships and families and health. It destroys. It seems pretty good for a little while, but eventually it comes back and it's incredibly destructive. Doing things God's way is not very fun in the moment sometimes, but it's the way to go in the long run. And you say, okay, have I won you ever? You're convinced now we should obey God? Okay, some of you aren't convinced. Just hang on. I'll see if I can do it by the end. But you're like, okay, maybe we need to obey God. But 613 laws, who can keep up with 613 laws? So where's your notepad? You got a notepad? Okay, law number one. You're not writing. No, I'm kidding. I'm not doing 613 laws. I can't. I can't remember them either. Uh, we can't keep 613 laws. We can't even keep 10. That was the point, remember? You know, you say, well, the Ten Commandments. Well, you can't keep those. Read them really closely and figure out, have you ever, ever, ever been dishonest or deceiving in any way? Have you, uh, you know, Jesus said in the matter of adultery, you know, number seven says don't commit adultery. Very good rule. But do you know that, that even lusting after someone who you're not married to is the same as committing adultery? That was clarified in the, in the New Testament. Man, that's, that's a pretty heavy thing. So we just can't do it. So I'm not going to give you 613 laws. I'm not even going to give you 10. We're in Mark chapter 12. Verses 28 through 34. Here we're going to see that God's expectations for us can be summarized not just in one law, but in one word. Here's the big idea for today. Big idea for today. I think I got it on a slide somewhere. Love God. Love people. What's the message about today? Love God. Love people. What's God want us to do? Love God. Love people. That's it. So let's read a little bit, and we're going to pray, starting at verse 28. Then one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And let's pray. Heavenly Father, please, please open us up to you. I pray for every heart who is listening, who is receiving right now, that you'd open them up to you fully. In Jesus' name, amen. So leading up to this, Jesus had lots of interactions with religious leaders and power brokers. Uh, this is the last week of his life. He's in Jerusalem, and, and it's really getting hot. All of these 
religious hotshots are trying to trip him up, to trap him. They want him gone. They want him dead. As a matter of fact, while he's having this conversation, the plan is already in motion to capture him and kill him. Within about 48 hours, Jesus is going to be hanging on a cross from this point. The disciples don't know that. Jesus knows that. That kind of paints the picture of where we are. So the Apostle Matthew also records this same story in Matthew 22, and he gives us a little more insight, and he tells us that a group of Pharisees had gotten together, and the Pharisees were talking about how Jesus had answered all of their questions really well, how they had tried to trap him, and it hadn't worked because he didn't fall for it, and he, he answered the way he should. And one of them speaks up and says, wait, wait, I've got a question. I've got a question I want to ask Jesus. Now, this man was a scribe. The scribes had a very special job. Their job was to make handwritten copies of the Old Testament scriptures, and they were incredibly meticulous about it. They would copy it one letter at a time. They would uh, look at the existing copy, look at that letter, and then they would go to the new copy and write that letter. They wouldn't write the next letter by memory. They would go back and they would study that letter, then come back to the new copy and write the letter. And each one had to be exactly the right spacing exactly the right size and if you messed up you did not erase it you did not grab the white out you did not hit backspace that whole copy of the scriptures was burned and you started over so they were incredibly careful and meticulous and god used that to be able to preserve the scriptures for us so we have a reliable you know, we can open this Bible and we, it's not the telephone game that one guy told another guy told another guy. No, it was copied so meticulously that we have a very well-preserved scriptures. No other book to come out of the ancient world is remotely close to the preservation of the Bible. It is amazing. So the scribes, they're the guys sitting in front of the scriptures more than anybody. So they were considered experts in what the Old Testament said. This guy, a scribe, might have been able to list out all 613 laws because he had handwritten all of them, co making copies. So he asked the question that a lot of scribes and a lot of religious leaders had asked, now, which one of these hundreds of laws is the most important? So Jesus has been asked lots of questions lately by religious leaders. Most of them were trying to trick him and trap him into saying something he shouldn't and, and mess him up. And whenever someone asked an insincere trap question, Jesus would answer their question with a question. He would kind of turn it around and show them how they're being really hypocritical. He doesn't do that with this guy. He does give him a good answer, which tells us that Jesus knew this man was different than the other people who had asked. He is he's maybe hanging with a kind of crowd who's got a closed heart, but his heart is open. His heart is open to the truth. So what about you? What about you? I'm not talking about you as a group, but you as an individual. Are you open to the truth? What if it makes you uncomfortable? What if it challenges you to, to change something about your life? Are you open to that? Good question. We'll find out. Let's go to verse 29. Then uh, Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is... Hear, O Israel, the, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. 
There we go. There's your answer. The, the first commandment. See, the rabbis often debated which one of the commandments was most important, which was most essential. I mean, they said some of they were all important, but some of them were important-er. They all had weight, but some of them were weighty-er. He, uh, Jesus gives a definitive answer to a divisive question because he's the ultimate author of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are, are by him, through him, for him, all of that good stuff. So he's qualified to interpret the Scriptures and he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want to read the whole thing. I'm going to read a little more than Jesus quoted here. Just to kind of give you a picture. So Deuteronomy chapter 6 beginning at verse 4 reads like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And here's the part that comes next. And these words which I command to you shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up and you shall bind them as a sign to your hand and they shall be on the frontlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. These were some of the most influential verses in first century Judaism. Uh, faithful Jews took these lines literally. They would like hang a box by the door of their house and write on a piece of paper, write these verses on a piece of paper and stuff it in the box. Some of them would tie like a box to their hand and put a piece of paper in the box that said this. Some of them would even tie like a headband around their heads with a box. You can still even see that today in, in some of the most uh, observant modern Jewish folks. They'll have this box like strapped to their head and you're like, what is that about? That's called a phylactery and that's what it was. They They took this as like, a literal interpretation that you should should tie these scriptures between your eyes. This scribe that was talking to Jesus at the time probably had a phylactery, a phylactery tied to his head. So he knows these scriptures. These were the core of Jewish belief. It wasn't a surprise. This was like the John 3.16 of the Old Testament for these people. It was a big deal. And in its own way, it was very controversial. Remember, at that time, nearly everyone in the whole wide world was polytheistic, which means they believed in lots of different gods, even if they kind of centered on one. So governments persecuted these people for believing there was only one God. They paid a high price for this. We live, we're living in a world now where we're, we're used to like monotheism being the thing. It's been that way for a long time. You know, oh yeah, yeah, there's a God out there, you know, whatever. You know, people may not believe very much or, or they may not be observant but normally most people don't still talk about multiple gods but these verses still are controversial because while people are more ready to believe there's only one god if they believe in a god at all they're less ready to believe in a god who has the power to hold them accountable people are okay with the idea of god is the god the god that can tell me how to live my life mm, that's a little more a little more troubling. See, we have a lot to say about God's responsibility to us. This is what God should do for me. This is how he should work out things for me. This is what I want out of God. But do we have as much to say about what God might want out of us? What expectations he might have for us? You know, how we should live in response to the reality of who he is. So what does it mean to love God with all your heart, soul, and strength? Well, I, I, I don't have a full list but i do have a list i actually do have a list now you could write this one down we're not going to write down 613 things but here's the list number one how do you love god with all your heart mind and soul know him 
Know God. Get to know Him. I know you might say, well, I can love people I don't know. You say, well, I loved my child before they were born. Yeah, you probably did. But you didn't know them yet. You didn't know what you loved about them yet. Get to know God. Know Him. Uh, how do you get to know Him? You know Him through His Word. You know Him through prayer. You know Him through obeying Him, through experiencing Him, through applying what He says, and, and spending time thinking about Him. That kind of ties in with number two, desire God. What does it mean to desire God? It means you want to know more about him. You want to be close with him. You're thinking about him. You want to live in his way. Number three, center on God. Put him first. Make him, I like this way of putting it, make God the primary fuel of your life. What you running on? Coffee and three hours of sleep? That's going to that's fail you, Okay. I remember, I remember when I was in my 20s, I could, uh, I could stay up late playing, I'm ashamed to say this, I could step way too late playing Call of Duty and uh, get up next day and go to work. And that was, that was dumb for all sorts of reasons. I kind of like to get a lot of that back, okay? Um, I could have been using my time so much more, but now it's like, is it, is it 9 o'clock? Is it time for bed? It's only 7.30, sweetheart. You can't be going to bed yet. So I'm like, Katie, can we just go Can we go to bed now? She's like, it's 7.30. It's light outside. What's wrong with you? She's younger than I am. She's much younger. She's my young, 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 young wife. She looks about 24. So, But she's actually 26, you guys. Actually, the math does not work on that. Don't do the math on that. Center on God. Make Him the fuel. Make Him like the pivot point of who you are. Put Him first. And you say, well, wait, I've got other priorities. I know. i got a job too. I work a job so I can do this job. I get it. i got priorities. you got family. So, well, i got to work. i got to do family. i got to do this. i got to do that. Yes, I know. But if you make God your number one priority... You'll get better at those other priorities. Guarantee it. Because you'll have the right fuel. All right, number four, worship God. Worship God, it, it could be singing. We did that. That was nice. I liked the new song. You liked the new song? I liked it. That was really good. Good choice, John. Excellent. But it's not just worship, you know. Worship is not just singing. Worship is making your whole life a song to God. It means everything you do recognizes his authority and his majesty and you're keeping him in mind and you're talking to him and, and everything you do is for his glory. Number five, embrace God's word. Read the Bible and let the Bible read you. The Bible is an incredible mirror. It will show you things about yourself you don't want to see. You know how you always like you're in your bathroom mirror and the lighting's just right and you look pretty good in the bathroom mirror and then someone takes a picture of you? And you're like, I was pretty in my bathroom mirror. Have you ever wanted to take someone, say, look, I know you see me now, but I want you to see this. And you like drag them to your bathroom mirror and say, look in the mirror. He's looking all right today. He's looking good. Look, the Bible can be a very unflattering image, okay? But it shows us what we need to deal with. It'll read you as you read it. So study the word. Listen on your Bible app. There is no excuse not to get the Word of God in your life. If you have a smartphone, then you have access to millions of sermons. You know we have hundreds, 100 plus sermons from Recreate Church that you can stream through 
Uh, you can just download the Podbean app where it starts. You can go through like Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio. You can just Google it and it'll come up. Recreate Church Podcast. You can listen to this all the time, okay? And there's a lot of other preachers out there who, who are really, really good you can listen to. Your Bible app on your phone, download that. Let it play while you're driving. Let it play while you're getting ready in the morning. There's no excuse, man. You don't have to be sitting down with a book in your hands to get Bible in your life. Number f- six, obey God. Okay, that's the curve where people lose a little traction. That's a kind of a tight curve there. They hit the gravels in that and slide into the bank. See, because we, we like the idea of God being there for us, but having to do things his way when we want to do it another way, mm, that's harder. But sooner or later, doing things your way is going to bring you pain. It will. Or it might not be today. You might think I'm crazy right now, but it will bring you pain. It'll cost you dearly when you do things your way instead of God's way. It looks good for a while. Every stupid thing you ever did sounded smart at the time. When I was nine years old, I was riding my bike, and I was not much of a daredevil, but I was a little bit of a daredevil, and I thought, I want to jump off a ramp. So I, uh, in my wisdom, found a large rock. You think, did you put a board on the rock to make the ramp? Nope, just the rock. Just the rock is a big rock about the size of a, I don't know, a big cantaloupe. And I put it in the driveway. There's a big hill in the driveway. And I'm speeding toward that thing. And I think to myself, what I'm going to do at the last moment, I'm going to pull up on my handlebars, just kind of bump up that front wheel a little bit, and I'm going to hit that rock, and I'm going to ramp off the rock, and I'm going to fly gloriously through the air. I'm going to soar, and I'm going to land on both wheels, and it's going to, I'm going to tell my grandchildren about it and everything. I will be telling my grandchildren about this, but not for the reason I expected. So as I am soaring towards this rock, and I pull up my handlebars just as I planned, but I did not ramp off the rock. The, the rock ramped off of me, and I don't know exactly at what point I became detached from my bicycle in the air. I've not determined that. All I remember is thinking, I'm not touching the ground at all, and all I see is blue sky. I don't know how I turned in the air. It must have been really something to see. And I landed. There's a crater in the driveway still. And that is the last time I jumped off a bike ramp rock thing. It sounded such a good thing at the time, but it was dumb. So look, I know every, every idea you have sounds good. Or maybe you even know it's stupid and you do it anyway because you think it's going to be nice. God is trying to save you from that, okay? The scribe is listening to this and he's probably with it so far and the Pharisees maybe who are accompanying him are like, yeah, okay, yeah, okay, love God. Okay, I got that. But you see, if you really love God, it's going to lead to something else as well. That's the second part of this. Verse 31, this is where it gets a little harder. Loving God, that's, you know, we're, we're with you so far. Verse, verse 31, and the second, the second commandment is like it. It's, it's this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus is quoting Leviticus 19.18. It's another popular verse with the rabbis. The famous Rabbi Hillel said that this verse was the heart of the law and everything else was interpretation or clarification. Now here's the gut punch. If you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul... You will love people. If, oh, if you don't love people, then you don't love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Mm. As the kids say, 
Womp womp. I'm just, I just have to look back at my teenage daughter to see if I embarrassed her thoroughly. And it didn't work. It didn't work. Okay. I'll figure something else out. Okay. Womp womp. That's a thing. These I'm hip. I'm a hip dad. Oh, it's a heavy burden. Look, love your neighbor as yourself. You're like, preacher, you don't know my neighborhood. You don't know. My neighbor, he's on that crack pipe. I know he is. Uh, so, look, what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? It's not easy, first of all. You think it's easy to love people? Have you, been or, have you met people? You're, you're a people. You're hard to, you have a hard time loving yourself sometimes. And you like, you like you enough. You like you enough to put up with you. You're with you all the time. Here we go, a list. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? Number one. Refuse a self-centered life. Who? If you live for yourself, it won't make you happy, and people are by default self-centered. Something I have learned through the years, finally, and I try to pass this on to people, when you leave the house thinking there's something about your appearance that you don't like, oh, people are going to notice this thing. And I told one of my kids this week, I said, look, people ain't going to notice that because they ain't thinking about you. They're thinking about them. They're not going to notice as much as you think. Look, genuinely caring about people and wanting good things for them, that's what you need to do. Even if they don't want the same to you. Not just like caring about the people in your little circle, but even the people who don't like you. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. Is that easy? Is that for wimps? No, that's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. Refuse a self-centered life. How do you love people? Give people the consideration you would want. All right. You want others to give you patience, to give you understanding, to give you mercy, to give you second chances, to judge you by your intentions rather than how you messed up your good intentions, to give you the benefit of a doubt. So give people what you would want. I mean, see a need, meet a need, be honest, practice justice and fairness, refuse gossip and vengeance and grudges. The world says respect is to be earned. The word teaches respect says more about the person giving it than the person receiving it. If you are a respectful person, you will treat people with respect, even if they're being disrespectful to you. Number three, find peace with yourself. Boy, is this a big one. Ooh, this is a big one. Part of our struggle with people is we struggle with ourselves. I heard somebody say this week, you know, if I was as hard on other people as I am on myself, I wouldn't have any friends. Listen, I get that. If you don't have peace with yourself, you won't have healthy relationships with other people. See, if you don't have peace with yourself, then every time someone around you kind of like bumps into that sore spot, you're going to feel it extra hard, all right? If you don't like something about yourself and you haven't like made peace with that, when someone else brushes up against it, it feels like they're attacking you. When they're just bumping into you, they're probably, probably not trying to hurt you. It just, they happen to touch a sore spot. Look, you've got to make some peace with yourself. It, if you don't make peace with yourself, it's really going to damage your relationships with people. Because, uh, you know, it's, we're all sensitive. We don't like it. We don't like that feeling. We're all sensitive. And we act all tough so people won't know we're sensitive. But the way you know someone is sensitive is because they act all tough. You don't put your tough guy armor on when you're really tough. You, you put it on when you're sensitive. 
Number four, share the good news. If you are a believer, one of the very best things that you can do for somebody else is to help them connect with Jesus, to show them about Jesus. Share the forgiveness and love and blessing that, and new life and renewal that only comes through Jesus. If you live before them a consistent life, you'll get the chance to talk to them. You don't necessarily have to go like chase them down and whack them with a Bible. That might work sometimes. I'm not recommending that as a, like a first resort. That should be like plan Z not plan a but you live kind of life before them that they see who you are you'll get the chance i guarantee you'll get the chance to witness to them so both of these scriptures are very well known nobody had ever put them together like jesus had loving god and loving people are inseparable you cannot do one without the other love god love people the whole law of god his whole expectation for you can be summed up in one word and it is I can wait here all day. What is it? Love. Love, love, love. God loves us. We love Him. Because we love Him, we love people. If God loves us, does that mean He condones all of our choices? No. Some of our choices are dumb choices. Our self-destructive choices. He doesn't approve of that, but He loves us anyway. Loving other people does not mean that we support every decision they make in their lives it, it doesn't mean that we like blindly say hey yeah that's great okay sure sure you want to put a firecracker in your mouth and light it yeah that's awesome no don't give me give me that give give me the thing we just love can mean compassionate accountability it means kindness compassionate compassion patience trying to influence people towards a holy life so let's kind of get these last few verses in here. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So let's give the scribe the credit. He understands the connection. He sees how loving people and loving God go together and how it's more than just keeping the rules and it's more than the religious ceremonies. The core of God's calling on our life is love. Love God, love people. Verse 34, now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, I love this line, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And then nobody asked Jesus any more questions because they finally figured out they couldn't trick him. Most of the religious leaders were close to the truth, but not this scribe. He had an open heart. And he was close to getting it. Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom, which I interpret to mean you're so close to getting it. You're so close to becoming a believer, to being saved. He understood the core of love. Now, I think we have some people maybe listening right now, either live or on the podcast, that are not far from the kingdom of God. People who are like this guy, open to the truth. So I'm going to ask you to do me a favor right now. Uh, just lay aside whatever, you know, let's lay aside all distractions for a moment. You got some in your hands right now? Just lay it down. Just lay it down. Just for a minute. You'll get it back. Um, lay aside what you're thinking about, what you're going to do this afternoon, what you're going to have for lunch. If you're listening on the podcast and you're driving, pull over if you can. Let's just think about this for a moment. Do you believe this stuff, this Jesus stuff? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? 
Do you believe that salvation comes through him alone? Do you admit that you've messed up? That you can't keep the law of God perfectly? By asking the question about which commandment was most important, I think the scribe may have been demonstrating he knew he couldn't keep them all. He knew he needed grace. He knew he needed forgiveness. And so do you. So are you ready for that if you haven't? Are you ready to believe? I'm going to ask you to do this. We don't do this very often, so I want to ask you to bear with me. Everybody's going to bow. Let's bow our heads right now. Nobody looking around. Nobody looking around at all. Nobody. Hey, nobody's looking but me and the Lord. Just bow your heads, close your eyes, and do everybody around you the favor of, of just kind of putting your head down for a moment. If you are ready to give your heart to Jesus and to be saved, what are you waiting for? If you're one of those people who's not far from the kingdom and you want, you want to give your heart to God, you want to be saved, you want a new life, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just kind of put your hand up. Just kind of put your hand up wherever you're at. If you're one of those people, let's pray a prayer together. Now, there's no magic in these words. Just repeating a sentence does not put you right with God. But if you pray them with a sincere heart, the Lord knows your sincerity. So you can pray this in your heart right now. You don't have to say it out loud. Just pray it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you gave your life to set me free. Please forgive my sin and make me new. I want the new life you give, and I want to live it for you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. And if you prayed that prayer, we want to hear about it. We want to support you. We want to be there with you for the next steps. You, hey, you can lift your head now. You can open your eyes now. Thank you. Look, folks, uh, if, you didn't, if your hand didn't go up, I'm going to assume one of two things. Either God's still working, you're not quite there yet, that's okay. Hey, keep coming, keep participating. And my prayer is that you'll come to that point. Or you've already trusted Jesus as Savior. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you have, if you would say I'm a Christian, then the message to you is love God love people that's one of the best things you can do for other people to see that this whole thing is for real because you don't love god you don't love people you give them a reason to doubt that god is real in the first place and what we're doing is for real so you go out there and be a witness by loving god and loving people all right hey that's all i got for this week we're going to come back and and continue in the gospel of mark next week thank you for being a part of all we're doing here god bless you all we'll see you next time